street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. Please follow me on Twitter at MagnaBosco or on Facebook and YouTube at MagnaBosco210. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Video one. Is it your perspective that the Christian worldview is in fact the objective truth of the matter? Yes. Huh. Video two. But there's always that factor of we're human beings, we've all had different experiences, we all come from different backgrounds, and that's where your bias really lies. Video three. So you actually do have somewhat of a course of action to take if you discovered that you don't have a good reason for thinking Christianity is true, including the morality aspect of it, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. Video I want to find the link in this chart of yours that is the one that they're all dependent on the most. And it yes. sounds like it's the Bible and the infallibility of it. Absolutely. Would either one of you be interested in doing a short interview? Oh, no, no thank you. No? Okay. Hey, hey! Hey, hey! What's up, my brother? You doing good? Yeah, I'm making it. You making it? Making it. Okay. <sighs> You're dressed uh, for rather cold weather, it looks like. I am. I was on campus by like 8.30 this morning, and it was, it was cold. It was cold this morning. It was cold. And uh, right now, I think I'm about to get sunburned. If I'm not too I careful. Stupid Texas. Hmm. How have you been? Man, I'm studying for the GRE, so. What is that? It's a master's program? Yeah, stuff? any postdoctor work you want to do, you pretty much need a GRE from anywhere. Ah, okay, okay. To go anywhere. So, yeah, it takes. I haven't done math in five years, and you've got two minutes to solve a problem, which isn't really about math, it's about logical reasoning. Hmm. You should be pretty good at that. From my, from what I remember from our conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's just taking a little bit to restart things in my brain. Yeah, that's what I was always wondering. Like, if I had to take a GRE or like an entrance to an, to a university, I probably wouldn't do very well on it, just because those concepts are so they're so foreign to me now. They're starting to um, play around with how you need them. Brown actually just ditched needing the GRE. Oh. Um, hmm. Because it's not fair to older students, and the GRE actually is completely biased towards white middle to upper class from the uh, from the uh, northeast. So all my family's from the northeast, and so I'm sitting here laughing like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's biased towards a specific race and uh, age. All your um, man, it is hot here. Yeah. All your. Can I record uh, this? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, you want to come in the shade just about a bit? Yeah. What little shade there is. <laughs> so when I was talking with the um, guys, some of the people uh, about the GRE um, mm. professors here, I won't mention any names or positions. Um, they were talking about how the GRE is biased towards that. You've got all the Ivy League schools up in the Northeast. Um, when you look at my family grew up in New York, um, I've got family and friends all up in New York, Massachusetts, all through the Northeast and New England. 
the way they do their schools, the way they talk, the way they approach things is completely different than Texas, which is why Texas doesn't allow, I'm assuming is why Texas doesn't allow the GRE to have a minimum requirement to get into any program. So I have to take mm. the GRE for my program, but I, there's no minimum that UTSA can put oh, on my Oh, you just entrance. have to take it. Right. It I doesn't matter how you perform a, on it. For Texas. For, for Texas. other schools, yes. For Texas, no. My friend, she did it for the military, for the army. She had to get a 300. Okay. But that's the military. Texas does not allow the GRE to have a minimum score because it is biased in favor of those who grew up in northeast United States, particularly mm. white, middle class, um, and upper class, who get schooled differently. There's a very big difference in how schooling is done up there. To is down that why here. you think that it's biased? Oh, it definitely is. Because as soon as I start going through things, I'm like, this is stuff we would never talk about down here. Mm. Do you have Some an example? Practice, uh, especially the, I don't have any of the books with me, the practice test exams for the um, uh, verbal reasoning. Mm -hmm. um, just some of the subjects. It's like, okay, yeah, I learned some of this. Not that you have to know. It's not like you have to know this. It's about breaking these things down. But how you break a lot of these reasoning questions down and logic, it's just not something that's applied for down here in Texas. Do you have uh, an example? It's hard to do because I grew up, um, I spent a few years in Pennsylvania growing up. Like I said, all my family's from the Northeast. Um, we've got a lot of family friends from the Northeast. I was homeschooled, so I don't have the public public school perception of how they grew up. I had cousins and all that who went through it. You know, obviously make friends here, but I do know some, and I'm just laughing like, oh yeah, this is definitely um, the way the test structure is approached, especially with verbal dictation. Mm -hmm. um, you just think about the difference between how the North says stuff and the South says stuff. The types of words we use? Yes, the way we structure sentences and words we use does vary by region. And there's a very big difference between how we use structure and language down mm. here compared to up there. And it goes beyond just like the word use of y'all. Y'all is such a <laughs> minor It little seems thing. like many people are actually using that word. Even I've noticed even in California they it's use it. It's getting to be around there a whole lot more. And we love to pick it like y'all, soda versus pop, or down here we just call everything Dr. Pepper. Mm. Um, we do? I don't call it people. that. Um, right. Well, let me ask you. Is there such a thing as an unbiased exam? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is always a bias presence because everything we do to be human is to make um, assumptions. And every single one of those assumptions is a bias that we make. Actually, I was doing creative writing on this last night and talking about it. We always have to... Um, make some form of judgment in order to make an action. So for me to literally decide to walk out of the McKinley Humanities Building and come through the student union versus coming down these stairs, I had to make a judgment assumption. Hmm. And that is technically a bias. I chose because I wanted those bathrooms versus walking down to these bathrooms because the main bathrooms on that floor were um, full for the guys. So I decided to come knowing the student union would mm -hmm. have more open stalls than coming 
then going down here and going to the student union over here on my way out. Mm. So I had my assumption as to where traffic would be by watching different things and patterns and being here long enough that I made my choice coming from my bias of being here and knowing the different traffic flows that happen or from what I perceive as the different traffic flows that happen at this current time. When we first talked, I think we were talking about truth being objective, yes. regardless of uh, maybe your upbringing or anything, mm-hmm. or where you happen to be standing. We had that right. wonderful example, right? Yes. And uh, I guess what I'm wondering here is, do you think that you said something like, there's always a bias present, and I'm wondering, and maybe this could be the last question because I want to move on to other people too, but um, do you think that there are certain subjects that are more prone to bias being being uh, a factor? Like I'm wondering about a math test. Okay, anthropology is a good thing here because anthropology in study, when you go and study a different culture, um, say you're going down to the Amazon, it's a classic example. Um, you go down there, you study them, you're already coming from your culture as a bias. And then you have to try and break that down to understand them and what everything means for them. And what anthropologists do when they write their ethnographies about these people, be it in the Amazon or be actually even here in the U.S., where most anthropological work is done, is they have to recognize their bias and show as best as they can that they've gotten past it, but also recognize how it affects how they view so anthropology recognizes it, accepts it, and does its best to work with it. Now, when you're mm. working with a quantitative factor of math, we have less of an ability to have a bias. Now, I'm sure we don't usually just do high-level math for absolutely no reason. Um, we're always trying to prove something. Um, when you're in the physics department, you have a bias to how you actually think something is. That's called your hypothesis um, in a way that is a bias. And so you talk, when you go to prove your hypothesis with math or science, something mm. quantitative, you're already kind of stating your bias. And you're trying to look for, you're, you think A plus B will equal C by saying you are starting at A and you believe C that is stating your bias. But in this case, your bias can be tested by other people without that same bias. And every single time anyone does um, any uh, work where it's peer reviewed, that's the goal is to help remove bias and actually say, yes, this is a standardized claim. Yeah, or you know, Yes, this is something that can be backed up and believed and recognized despite there always being a bias. Mm. So if you had uh, lots of different people from around the world with different perspectives, if they all came to the same conclusion, it could be an indication that bias wasn't so much of a factor there. Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay. But there's always at least some form of stated bias because in a way, a bias is basically how you look and adjust things to the world. Uh, It's kind of how you kind of like having your own little set of glasses. I washed these today too, this morning. (laughs) Um, You know, I put my glasses on and that helps me see things and make a choice from where I am and what I've experienced. And therefore I will make my choice, A plus B equals C. Um, 
but there's always that factor of we're human beings we've all had different experiences we all come from different backgrounds and that's where your bias really lies now yes we can work our best to recognize and remove our bias um, as best as possible but anthropology does a really good job by recognizing it stating it and then mm. trying to stay I, I have it I recognize it and I'm trying to account a, for it or yes, control it, maybe mitigate it and mitigate. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when you when outside researchers will go and look at that, they'll say, OK, you have this bias. You did things this way. Did you mitigate that and come to the right, to conclusion without the same bi- with your bias that I don't have that same bias mm. as best as you could have? And it's peer reviewed. And that's why you get that's how you get peer reviews to remove the biases as much as possible okay. and to back up and agree with it. Last question. Yes. Uh, do you know of any particular disciplines or areas of study that that don't do that, that don't take that precaution to mitigate for bias? That would require me to know a lot more about certain ones. Mm. Um, not every um, field of study is obviously um, perfect in that. The art gets a whole lot trickier. Mm. I love uh, anthropology because it tries to be as scientifically founded as possible. Even when you do things like ethnographies and work with people, like they certainly structure their biases. Um, I don't know how much psych states their biases going into things. I don't know how. Usually you'll mm. have on an ethnographic book sections at the beginning or sections during that where it's directly stated. I have my bias here, or I was not mm. able to reach this because of this thing going on. I wasn't able to reach women because this is how women viewed men mm-hmm. and things like that, where they know that they're coming from a position that's already um, at jeopardy to or having a heavy bias, be it from them or being from only seeing it as a culture of men. Mm. Um, I think I follow you. Okay, uh, let me offer you one of these three pieces. Which you want to go for red this time? I'll go red. Yeah, I I have blue literally in there. Okay, cool. Um, Some people thought that I was expecting them to return the pieces to me. I don't know. I want you to keep it. Keep it. Yeah, keep it. Build build the set out. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here or not expressed here do not necessarily represent those of the organization.